It's your life. It's your life. It's your life. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Millennial Mindset. It's your host, Sade. On this episode, I am so glad that I got to sneak this in for the final episode of the series. Um, And today we're featuring Gabi, another millennial. Um, Gabi Kim Hueska is a library associate at the DC Public Library and co-founder of the Women of Color Book Club DC. Gabi worked in policy for over eight years and made the switch to public service a little over a year ago. As a library associate, Gabi serves the public with not only book and literary related queries, but also leads bilingual English-Spanish story time, teen programs, and job seeker clinics. Gabi co-founded the Woman of Color Book Club with her friends Madvi and Amisha in July 2017 with the intention to gather like-minded women in the D.C. area and support women of color authors. With over 20 members, the book club meets once a month to discuss books written by women of color authors. Gabi hopes to grow the book club and regularly facilitate conversations with women of color authors and ultimately impact the publishing industry and literary canon. Apart from the Women of Color Book Club, Kabi also hosts the podcast Get Lit, Women of Color Book Club DC, which is syndicated by DC Public Library on SoundCloud. Gabi, thank you so much for being here today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I found out about the work that you're doing and I was like, this is something that I just haven't really seen yet. And I wanted to just talk to you in general about how you sort of got started. And um, I have just I just have so many questions, so I kind of want to get into it. But I wanted to sort of touch on your beginning, how you said that you more or less recently made the switch over from public service over a year ago. And I'm curious, so you, you said that you worked in policy for almost a decade and you decided to make the mm-hmm. switch. What can you sort of talk to us as listeners who are also sort of just starting out in their careers or maybe considering that, um, what prompted you to make that switch? Sure. So in college, I, I fell in love with political science and that's what I studied and I worked at a um, public policy startup company in Argentina for a couple years when I lived down there and I moved to DC six years ago actually and started working at a public policy firm a private firm here in DC and it was all domestic policy related so I mean I was needless to say deep into the public policy world I loved politics I still love politics I feel like I live and breathe politics But um, especially after the November 2016 elections, I just grew disillusioned with my work. I felt like I wasn't really having a real tangible impact, I suppose. I felt like I wasn't I wasn't able to see the, the true impact of the work that I was doing. You know, it was all kind of in theory and I couldn't quite understand how advising people on policy was actually improving um, people's lives, people that I cared about, immigrant communities or lower income families. So I wanted to work directly with the people and what better way to do that than public service. And so I stumbled upon this, um, of all things, the DC Public Library had an opening and, you know, I considered a lot of options on how to make the switch, right? Like, should I go work for a nonprofit organization? Should I go work for a foundation? And I thought working for the DC Public Library was a great transition because it is technically a part of the DC government. And so it was kind of, you know, semi-related in terms of government and politics. 
and it was direct public service work. And I did a lot of thinking, you know, actually before I made the switch because it felt like such a drastic change Mm -hmm. and really a lateral move, if anything. And I took a big pay cut um, to come here. I actually went to the Northeast Public Library branch and I said, hey, is there a library associate here I could talk to? And I sat down with them and I said, hey, can you talk to me a little bit about your job? I've applied and I had an interview and I'm considering taking a, a position here. And so I sat down with this random person that I didn't know, and they graciously spoke to me for 20 minutes about their job. And I was connected to another person that worked at actually the branch that I work at, the Mount Pleasant branch. And I was kind of able to pick their brain about what exactly their, the job entailed. And they explained to me that it was a you know public-facing, which means you get to interact with little kids and helping a seven-year-old girl find her favorite book to assisting a homeless person find a place to sleep at night. And I Mm -hmm. thought to myself, this is exactly what I want to be doing. I want to gain some perspective. I want to serve the public and be a part of the community that I actually live in. Um, So that was kind of a lot. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you for walking us through sort of the steps that you took and how you came to DC Public Library. And what was it, how did you find the courage to... um, to make that switch because I think that it sometimes it feels like, okay, if I've been working, you know, at a place for a year or two years, okay, you know what, let me just go ahead and do it. But for you, you had, you know, some time and you finally decided to just sort of take that leap. Was it just like, just you woke up one day and you're like, you know what, like I'm finally going (laughs) to go and like, you know, live out the dreams and the goals that I have to serve, you know, my community. Like what, was there something like that? Do you have advice for our listeners that maybe are maybe considering something of stepping out and sort of pursuing their individual goals? Yeah. You know, I think what helped was that for a really long time, I felt disillusioned with my work. Mm. I wouldn't recommend that. Obviously I want to say probably for two years, I thought, what is my work? You know, what does it mean? What kind of real impact is it having? So I was questioning for a really long time. And Mm. if I'm being completely honest with you, I'm still not convinced that this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm. I, I think all the time, you know, did I make the right choice by taking a pay cut? And, you know, right now I'm, I'm trying to apply to grad school mm. and considering becoming, you know, the full librarian and making yeah. the commitment. And that <laughs> is really scary because that's not at all related to policy. Mm. And it's an investment into something that I'm unsure of. But what I tell myself to reassure myself is I think about my day to day And, you know, it's not every day I come home and I think I love my job, but I think I'm not exaggerating 90% of the time. I think to myself, I love my job. And that was not at all the case where I was before. And, you know, I'm not trying to talk bad about the place I was before. It was just not fulfilling me in the way that I needed to be fulfilled. Yeah. And, and this job is very exhausting. Often it's thankless. You have people that are rude to you. You have Mm. people that, you know, disrespect you but it and it's really hard to keep perspective and compassion and empathy for everyone um but I like that challenge I enjoy that challenge and I and that's what I tell myself you know like I made the right choice because most days I come home and I'm really happy yeah which is what it's about yeah and and you know I think I'm lucky in the sense that I get to serve the public and also be 
in my community and I also love reading so it's kind of a great marriage of my personal passion um well I guess my two personal passions right it gives me purpose and I you know it's great that I also love to read absolutely absolutely um so let's fast forward and in July 2017 you're sitting with your friends and you guys or you guys have been mulling this over and you guys decide you know we're gonna start a book club specifically for women of color how did this sort of come about and how have you seen it grown from just a few months ago I guess maybe six or seven months ago to or sorry 2017 well I'm forgetting that we're literally in 2019 (laughs) (laughs) that we're literally 2019 not 2018 um but you know you're mulling this over and you guys just you all decide to create this book club like what sparked that and how have you seen it from you know now in 2019 to when you first started yeah so you know it was uh, me and my two friends, Madvi and Amisha, we were sitting on my couch, as we often do, just hanging out. Yeah. And um, <laughs> we were talking about books that we're reading. And I actually started logging the demographics of the authors of books that I read, I want to say, probably a couple years before that. And I had started noticing that overwhelmingly, the authors that I read are white. And actually, a lot of them are women. And Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, I I already was a part of a Latina book club, but I wanted to be more intentional about the authors that I read, um, because ultimately the books that I buy or that the consumer purchases is going to affect the publishing industry, which will affect, you know, the writers that are in the market. And so my friends and I were sitting on the couch talking about this. And my friend Madvi said, you know, we should start a book club where we focus on reading women of color authors. Mm. And so it was really her idea that sparked the creation of this book club. And so I gathered friends from, you know, my job back in the political world, friends of friends. It kind of traveled by word of mouth. And I tapped into my my personal and professional networks. And I think we started with about 10 women. And it was a brunch at one of the participants' houses. And everybody brought something. It was potluck-style. And the first book we read was by a Korean author named Han Kang, and it was called Human Acts. And it was extremely depressing, but it actually was kind of poetic in the sense that it told the story of my hometown in Korea. My mother is Korean, and and I grew up in this town called Gwangju. And so it told the story, the history of this city which has like deep deep democratic roots or roots in the democratic uprising in in the history of south korea and so that's kind of how it began and i think now it's kind of grown unexpectedly i never expected it to get this large or intense or intentional it definitely Mm -hmm. was a lot of trial and error because we approached it in a much more casual sense Mm -hmm. We thought, okay, we're just going to gather women that we know and um, friends of friends, gather once a month and talk about these books. But then we had to think about, okay, well, what else is on the list? How democratic are we going to be about how we choose the reading list? And then, um, you know, some of our friends brought other friends to book club. And at first they were very welcome. And then we thought, well we're getting more intense in our discussion in terms of sharing our experiences. And so we want to keep it a little more personal. And in order to respect that space and make everybody feel safe, we really have to restrict membership. 
um, not only because, you know, we want to preserve confidentiality and create a sense of community, um, we want to make sure everybody feels comfortable in disclosing sensitive information. And honestly, at one point, people just kept inviting more and more people. Yeah. <laughs> and we thought, this is too large. It got overwhelming. And it's hard to create a sense of community when, not only when you have a huge group, but when you have a huge group of people that don't show up consistently. Hmm. So that led to us creating ground rules. And uh, my friend teases me all the time about how much I love the ground rules. And I hate to admit it because I like to think that, you know, I don't live by rules, but I do love the ground rules because they set a precedent where everybody, you know, we don't have to argue about certain things. It's Mm. just, um, it's just preset and everybody agreed upon them. And we do shape, like shift a little bit, um, depending on, you know, what the rest of the group wants, you know, that's not like the ground rules are set in stone. We can always compromise and change them or if somebody has a new idea we add to them and so one of the rules is limit the membership to 25 members mm. and if you miss more than three consecutive book club sessions then we kind of revisit and sit down with you and think hey are you too busy right now to commit to this um and then we set i mean there, there are other logistical things in the ground rules like we meet on you know the second sunday of the month or whatever Um, So anything as simple as that to how we make up the group. And we all decided fairly early on that we want to limit membership to only women of color. That means no men and no white women. Um, Of course, queer and gender nonconforming are welcome. We just wanted to make sure that it was a space where people felt comfortable in, you know, being vulnerable but also we wanted to be free of having to explain certain things, you know, mm. because I think often as women of color, we find ourselves having to sit down and explain patiently to our male allies or our white female allies, you know, certain things or certain experiences that we have. And so in order to eliminate that altogether, we set that ground rule. And I've, you know, I, I was just surprised at how, excited people were to be a part of this community we hang out outside of the gatherings obviously not just socially but during the midterm elections we went canvassing together Mm. we phone banked together it's really expanded to something that I I did not imagine in the beginning Mm. and it's awesome yeah, and I'm, I love that you talked about you guys being able to go canvassing together and participate in other parts because it acknowledges that, you know, as women of color, there are all these other issues that are very relevant and perhaps central to your identity. And it's not just, okay, we're going to go and just meet, you know, once a month and discuss these books or, you know, other issues, but instead we're also going to be active in our communities in different ways. Absolutely. And we love, you know, sharing ideas on how we can be more active and engaged. I I love that. And even though you said you have these ground rules that you set just in order to cultivate, you know, these relationships and um, just to make everyone feel comfortable, how did you, because I was thinking as you were saying that, I was like, well, you also have the podcast, so other people who may not be able to physically be there or Mm -hmm. allies who want to just hear stories are still able to participate. Did the podcast, was that before or after 
um, the book club creation and how does that sort of supplement to your meetings that you have? Sure. So the podcast came after, and I think it came about at the beginning of 2018. So in January, 2018 is when we recorded our first, maybe, yeah, it was January, 2018 where we recorded our first podcast. And it came about because DC Public Library has this great live radio show that is then um, preserved and um, shared online. And it is recorded live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. Nice. And I and I was asked by our DC Library Public Library Studio Labs. They're they're the folks that work on podcasting and technology. I was asked by them to come onto the radio show. And so I went on with uh, my co-founder, Mavi, and we talked about the Women of Color Book Club, and we talked about the Book of the Month, which at the time was The Space Between Us by Triti Umrigar, who is an Indian-American author. And so that's kind of how it started. And I thought, you know, this is really fun. I really was surprised at how much I love podcasting. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and when I was actually in high school, my my dad worked managing a college radio station um, where he was a professor. And so I had been on the air before with him. I had been on live radio before, and I had a little bit of experience editing audio. And it was pretty fun, but I didn't realize how fun podcasting could be. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, so, so talking with book club members I thought well I can definitely learn a bit more about audio editing and this is a skill that I can use at my job and I can help other members of the public who are interested in podcasting learn the skill and kind of also get to know all of the different resources that the library has because oftentimes people think library and they just think books yeah and and it's true during my day I do handle lots of books (laughs) but we also have a whole lot more we have um a fab lab where you can use our 3d printers we have sewing machines we have a temporary studio space because the central library uh, the mlk library in chinatown is getting renovated and so it won't be open until 2020 but all of the podcast recording equipment is housed in a studio in shepherd park library so you go into the studio space and you have this incredibly great quality recording equipment and they also have editing software on their computers that you can use for free because it's a public library and so I just wanted to you know since I was very new to the public library world I wanted to get to know our full resources and play around and also supplement the women of color book club content and disseminate that to the larger world to members who can't physically be present Mm. and so it kind of became a monthly you know hey we should talk about the book on the podcast so our friends who can't be a part of the book club or people who are interested in these types of books can follow along and participate. And have you ever had the opportunity to have authors um, participate in the book club, women of color authors, or even on the podcast to discuss their own books? Yeah. So actually this was a dream come true and it was unexpected. We, the author that I just mentioned, Thriki Umrigar, we Mm -hmm. had her, So she wrote The Space Between Us 10 years ago, so I think in 2008. And then she wrote the sequel, The Secrets Between Us, and that was published in June 2018. Mm. So we already had this 
book in mind as a book that we wanted to read as a group. And just on a whim, again, I think Mavi Amisha and I were sitting on my couch <laughs> talking about, like, wouldn't it be so cool if we could get 3T Umrigar to talk to us? You know, she's probably going to go on a book tour because she's just launching her book. And so on a whim, I decided to reach out to her. I went to her website, and I emailed her, and it was kind of a generic email, so I, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations. And surprisingly, she responded and said, sure, I would be happy to do a call. Wow. I could, And I said, can we do a video chat? She said, why don't we just keep it a call? <laughs> I'm going to take whatever you can get. <laughs> and so we read the book, and we had kind of a mini discussion before we got on the call with her mm-hmm. and did preparation in terms of writing everything out in a Google Doc. I'm a huge fan of Google Docs and Google Sheets. So on the Google Doc, we wrote out questions that we wanted to ask her. And uh, I know that we had about 30 minutes to an hour to chat with her. And so we were on the phone with her on our regular gathering, and I was just so floored by the experience. She's such a gracious person. And speaking to the writer was so illuminating. You know, I think there were just certain insights definitely about the writing process that that were revealed to me, but also, you know, and, and what I mean by writing process is we asked questions about character development. She taught us a lot about the research she did in terms of the history of India and why she was inspired to write a sequel. But she also shared insights as to decisions that literary decisions that she made. Mm. So without giving too much away at the very end of the sequel uh the main character bima ends up doing something unexpected and everybody well i I won't say everybody but a large portion of the book club was baffled as to why this was added on or why this was the ending scene of the book and we had kind of a debate about if we liked it or not, you know, what the purpose of it was, not quite understanding. It felt a little bit like a add-on and it wasn't a central or core part of the rest of the book. And when we were on the call with, with Riti Umrigar, she explained to us because somebody asked, you know, why did you choose that ending or why did you choose, you know, this fate for Bima, the main character? And her answer was so, I think it almost brought me to tears. It was just so moving. She said how she cared so deeply about this main character. And this was, she was worried about the future of this main character. She said, I was so worried about Bima because, you know, her granddaughter was going to move on with her life. You know, she was just eight, turned 18 and was going to move out of the house and have her own future. And she said, I didn't want Bima to be unhappy. I didn't want her to be alone. So I decided to craft this ending for her and it made so much sense to me and it endeared me so much to the main character and to the author. It was absolutely illuminating and we never would have known that if we had not gotten on the phone with her, you know, it was, it was mind blowing to me. That's awesome. And I think that what was so cool is that you were just like, you know what, let's just reach out and see what happens. It was completely random, you know, because I know that a lot of authors, especially when they just have a new book out, you know, they're busy, they're getting paid to go speak at certain events. And so, you know, 
we were just like, well, we're just a random group of women talking about books. Yeah. Um, and we love your book. Yeah. And, and it was really cool because I don't, I, none of us were really expecting when we read the first book in uh, early 2018, we weren't really expecting to see the sequel to come out. Mm-hmm. And so it was, and it was actually a suggestion of Madby's, I think it was Madby's mom who suggested that book. So mm-hmm. it was cool to also involve like our family and in, into this, in, into this um, community. Yeah. But yeah, nice. I mean, the, the worst that can happen is that somebody will tell you no. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. ask, you'll never get it, mm-hmm. is what I learned from this. Yeah. So <laughs> I definitely, I mean, I would, I am very new at podcasting. So for now, it's just a pipe dream to have an author come on and talk to me on the podcast. But I also think it was so much more valuable to have the entire group, well, whoever was able to be present that day, you know, the group there to talk to the author because they think they thought of questions that I wouldn't have thought to ask, Mm, you know? Absolutely. I would love to have, I mean, that's my dream for and goal for this book club is to have more authors participate in our group discussions and and be able to interact with them. Yeah, absolutely. And is there a author that like your dream, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) so many and that's the thing about this book club is that, I've encountered books that, you know, working at DC Public Library, I see a lot of the popular titles. Right now, for example, it's Michelle Obama's. Yeah. And yes, I would love to get Michelle on the phone. Yeah. I know that's definitely not happening. But you You never know. She lives in DC, you know. (laughs) That's true. It would be amazing. But the really incredible thing about this book club is that I got to hear about women of color authors that I did not know about. You know, I never knew, and I never would have known about 3T Umrigar had it not been for Madvi's mom. Yeah. And she was such an incredible speaker, author, writer. And, um, you know, I think that's also the purpose of this book club. Obviously, it's to create community, but it's also to financially support and uplift women of color authors mm. that are not that well known. Yeah. So, so you know, we want to support women of color who are, maybe they're up and coming or maybe they don't get the attention that they, that their white female peers are receiving in the publishing industry. So, you know, I don't think I have one dream author that I would love on the show that I can think of necessarily. That's a big name. I just love getting the insights of every author we've read because frankly, I love all of the books that we've read so far. Mm. Um, There is one recently uh, a book recently that I read that I would love to get the author to come speak with us. And actually her book is not on our list currently, but that might change. Um, she wrote, her name is Nicole Chung and she wrote the book, all you can ever know, which is a memoir. Mm. And she is, um, a Korean American. Well, she is born to Korean parents, Korean immigrant parents, and mm-hmm. she was adopted by a white family. And so she talks about her adoption experience, and I think it would be um, just really fascinating because in our book club, we have a lot of women who are immigrants and also women who are daughters of immigrants. And so kind of looking at different perspectives, at these different perspectives on this adoptee experience and hearing from the author, I think would be really cool. And I think she lives in the DMV area. 
So if she could come in person, that would be incredible. Wow. Nicole, if you hear this. <laughs> yeah. If you but hear I, this. She's, she's very busy. She's, mm-hmm. yeah. But there's still, I mean, it's, that's just off the top of my head because I read her book recently. But, I mean, any, any author that we read, yeah. I would love to have come speak with us. And I love that, you know, you mentioning to also economically support women of color authors who are so often um, sort of sidelined by other, you know, more prominent authors or people just sort mm-hmm. of tend to gravitate to other um, sort of books. And so that's something that's so important. But you just talking about, you know, you working for DC Public Library and as a library associate, also being able to connect with your community and promote that because so often I I remember growing up like all the librarians I knew were did not look like me right Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. it's like of course I was just asking about you know like okay I just need to figure out how does this printer work and you know whatever it is but I think that if you are someone if you're if you see people that look like you in those sort of positions it makes you feel more comfortable to be more curious and so and whatever resources they give to you that opens up your eyes a lot you know if I'm just a young student and you know grade school or even in high school and I'm just wanting to get some more books but you're coming you're coming to me from my perspective or from my background you're going to give me certain books that may enlighten me a little bit more or versus if we are you know, from different areas, it's kind of like, okay, like, there's only so many books that look like this or read like this that I can contain. Mm -hmm. But being able to have, you know, librarians of color, it's something that I don't think we realize it affects us. Because I think we talk a lot about like, having teachers that look like Mm -hmm. you and working in places where there are people with your same identity, but there are all these other points in our life that we don't think you know, make as much of a difference as they do. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's a cycle. I think something like 79, 80% of staff in the publishing industry in the U.S. are white Mm. and overwhelmingly female, which is, I mean, that's great. Uh, There are a few industries that can be said about that. but, But, you know, if the majority of the staff that are reviewing manuscripts are white then certain Mm. stories are not going to be acknowledged or told or Mm -hmm. won't be told in a sensitive way or selected and you know when there are people that look like you you can aspire to be like them if you see more black authors and you're a young black person you can think well I can be that you know I can be that author I can be that illustrator I can be a best-selling author absolutely Um, and you know I think I fully believe that, you know, we need to, we women of color need to take hold of this space of the publishing industry of even the library world, you know, yeah. we, we need more library staff that are people of color that reflect the communities that they serve. And you're absolutely right that young people, especially will feel more comfortable approaching a staff member um, that looks like them. But that also escalates to, you know, people in power, whether it's Mm. in the publishing industry, whether it's powerful writers, whether it's people who are making decisions at the higher levels within the public library system. If those are people of color, you know, they're going to prioritize, okay, we need more diverse authors. We need to acknowledge, you know, 
um, more Latino authors during Hispanic Heritage Month, or we need to uplift more black authors during Black History Month, um, things like that. And we need to hire more staff. We need to be more mm. sensitive about the language that we use. Um, just being more intentional. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Interconnected and abs- it's just about being more intentional. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. Because ultimately what it is is sharing our stories, right? Like mm-hmm. We could be writing all of our stories, but if I don't get the – if I'm an aspiring writer and I don't get uh, – I don't have within my network certain mentors who can help me improve my writing, then I'm not going to be considered by a publishing industry. My book will never be published and people won't hear my story. And I think that's kind of the incredible thing about technology and the internet, you know, even being able to podcast, what we have a, a Twitter account, it's WOC Book Club DC, you know, that we can go on Twitter and connect with other authors of color or people who are seeking to read out more books by women of color um, authors. It's amazing. You know, we can engage in dialogue online and uplift each other in this really easy way. You know, I enjoy reading and I enjoy reading stories that are similar to mine, but also different from mine. There's just such a, there's just so many rich stories to be told, mm. you know, from, you know, there are certain books that I related very deeply to. Um, recently, we read the book Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, who is a Korean American author. And that book addresses racism in the context of Japan, Japanese and Korean relations. And I related a lot to that story, obviously, because, you know, my mom's side of the family is Korean. Um, But then there are other stories that I don't have experience in, but that Mm -hmm. are still extremely rich and fascinating and speak to universal um, experiences like, for example, the book Homegoing by Yag Yassi. It tells the story of book. generations upon generations of of women that, um, well, I guess not just women, but mostly women that that um, that came from. Oh God, I read this book so long ago. Ghana. I want to. Yeah, yeah. Was it Ghana? Yeah. It, yeah, the Gold Coast <laughs> and uh, to to the U.S. and the stories of slavery and also the families that stayed behind in Africa. And there are just certain, you know, universal, I guess, truths that are such rich, powerful stories of family, of love among siblings, of, you know, um, of familial familial ties and romantic ties and survival and and things like that. Um, But I think it's knowing those untold stories that are so important, you know. We, I think that's like the first step in changing our literary canon. Yeah, it's to facilitate and continue facilitating those conversations, and hopefully, we'll feel more comfortable to integrate that into our daily lives and um, continue using that as a resource. Mm-hmm. Any last words as we end out this episode? <laughs> I just want to encourage everyone who is listening to pick up a book by an author that maybe they haven't heard of, especially women of color authors. It's really important to support them economically. Hey, if you don't have the economic means to buy new books all the time, that's okay. Go to your local library. Books are free. That definitely has an economic impact because the more we circulate those titles, the more, uh, you know, the more we purchase them for Mm -hmm. the system. 
And so if you ever need inspiration on which books to read, what authors to check out, you can check us out at uh, on Twitter at WOC Book Club DC. Um, check out our podcast. Um, I think it's it's just such a easy and rewarding experience, you know, to, to hear other stories from other perspectives. Absolutely. Gabby, thank you so much for being able to contribute to this final episode of the series Millennial Mindset. I am happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, of course. All right, listeners, so you heard it here first. Um, if you haven't already, please make sure to follow the book club, WOC Book Club DC on Twitter. And the podcast is called Get Lit on SoundCloud called Get Lit Woman of Color Book Club by DC Public Library. All right. Bye, everyone. Don't forget to comment, subscribe, and share with others. And always remember, it's your life.